Well, good morning, everyone. A glorious, beautiful day. Yeah, it certainly is. And I pray you guys are continuing to lift, you know, all the the victims and those that are facing the storms um, down south. And just please put that in your prayer journals and continue to pray for the church. Pray for those that don't know Christ, that, he, you know, they'll even be gathered in because of this. Um, these storms, you know, you, you think of what just happened in Mexico with an earthquake. And my goodness, it doesn't it sound like that creation is groaning for its release? You know, um, we're going to be studying a little bit about prophecy on uh, Wednesday evenings. We're, we're going to go into uh, Thessalonians. Uh, it might be something you guys would uh, want to consider. I know sometimes in the middle of the week it's hard to get out, but uh, studying prophecy now just makes sense with everything that we see going on. And um, there's something so powerful, uh, so reasonable when we read it out of the scriptures and it's right before our eyes. You know, it's like, wow. You know, amen, guys? Um, the, the, the devil, and I'll say this a little later, he can mess with our experiences. I'm not minimizing our experiences, but he can mess with that. But there's one thing Satan can't mess with, and that's the scriptures. It's written. It's been written a four time for our learning, and you can't erase that. Amen, guys? It's right in front of us. Well, we started last week a series and I know some of you guys have been praying for me because I'm sort of like outside of my comfort zone. Someone said, well, how are they topical? Well, not really. Well, yes and no. Um, we are looking at the word verse by verse that we will never, um, we'll never change that. and won't compromise going verse by verse. But we are studying um, the life of Christ in a chronological Order. Some have said it's the footsteps of Christ and his ministry and all his miracles. But in a synoptic way, we're trying to keep it in in order. Now, why is this on my heart? Um, the main reason is because the days in which we live, and I believe with all my heart these are the last days, it tells us that the love of many will wax cold will become cold toward one another and towards humanity. And there will be a lack of love for the word of God. In fact, in the minor prophet, it says that there will be a famine for the word. Not that there won't be Bibles, but there will be a lack of desire for this right here. You, we need to be careful. We don't do our devotions or enter into this because we just feel like we want to. It's our duty. It's what we do if we want to survive as a Christian. Daily doses of the scriptures. Amen. How many of you guys are vitamin nuts? Would you just raise your hands? You're always into your vitamins. I'm trying. I just do them for like two weeks and I forget. Now, how many of you guys are like that? You start well, but man, you go right down the tubes with it. You know, it's like the exercise machine. Man, they're really well oiled and geared. And then a month later, it's a coat rack. You know, I get it. Not so with the word of God. The word of God, we need to be in it. Whether you feel like it or you don't. You need to know who he is. You have to become well familiar with who Christ is. And that's my reason for taking you through this series. I want you to have a desire that you want to know him. And you want to know his sufferings. You want to know what's in the future. And it's all written here in the scriptures. So uh, week number two, I want you to turn to Luke chapter one, if you would, please. Start at verse 26.
That is a glorious sound. I bet you that's even being recorded. When you hear good sounds, we'll read it slowly and carefully. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came in unto her and said, How thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. There or then shall um, then said Mary unto the angel, Well, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which which shall be born unto thee unto thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, your cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. This is the sixth month with her who, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. The angel departed from her. Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, in the city of Judah. If you would please just go to the right a little bit to chapter 2, verse 1. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. All went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swallowing clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And if you would be kind enough, just go to chapter 3, and I want to point out five names to you. I want you to notice in verse 31, the latter part of the verse, which was the son of David. Drop down to verse 34, which was the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Oh, and also in verse 33, pardon me, the son of Judah. So it would be the son of David, Judah, Isaac, or Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. Um, again, uh, last week as we were dealing with, you don't even want to say the origin. Because after studying last, last week, we discovered that there was no beginning. So you really can't even use the wording the origin, the beginning of something, because Christ was without beginning and without end. We talked about him being the eternal one in John chapter 1. We talked about him being um, the divine one, that he was God, fully God in the flesh, that he was also the creator, and that also he was the giver of life and light, that all that, existed even before God said, let's create in the eternal. And I think we would all agree, 
Humanly speaking, you're never going to wrap your mind around that. How many would agree, give me a fat amen? That's what makes him God. See, that's the problem that I try to explain to my, my friends that come to my door and knock. The Mormons, in fact, just one was over the other day, had a real quick conversation with He made it quick, not me. And, uh, of course, we have those that are knocking that are Jehovah's Witnesses. Sometimes they disguise themselves and say they're of the Watchtower Society. See, they need an origin with Christ. They cannot fathom that there was no beginning. Some will speculate, well, he was the brother of Lucifer. There was a fight in heaven and Christ won. And that's why he was able to come to the earth. Some have said that he was a prophet. Mere man, just a prophet though. You know, why? Well, there's something absent and that is faith. They have to feel in their hearts They have a grip on this, which, by the way, once you have a grip where you think he came from, then you lose the eternal one, you lose the divine one, you lose the creator, and you lose the one who gives life and light. Now he does not exist. He's mere man. If he is mere man, the one who died on the cross for our sins, that was all in vain, devoid of truth and meaning. It was meaningless. If he was the eternal one, if he was God in the flesh, he was able to take your sin, my sin, any sin, all our sins, past, present, future, nailed to that, sacrifice the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world Only God can do that. Now, we've established that last week, so why am I going all over that again? Let's go quickly through it verse by verse, and then there's just one main point, if you can imagine me coming up with just one, uh, that I want to make. And again, I'm beginning to use the whole Harry paraphrase. It tells us that in the sixth month, that would be the sixth month of Elizabeth, her cousin's pregnancy that Gabriel, this angel, appeared to this young woman. Most scholars speculate that Mary was only 16 years old. Imagine that. Imagine just for a second where you were when you were 16 and think that an angel from God would appear and then drop that bomb on you. You know, it's hubba, 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 you know. We're told, we are told in verse 27 that she's engaged. Now, listen, there were three parts of this whole engagement thing. There was that thing where the, the family would get together and then they would pick out a husband or a wife for a husband. And then there would be this meeting together to see if it would uh, work out that prearranged kind of marriage. That, and once they gave high five to that, then that was etched in stone. In other words, once they give a high five, they agree they're going to be husband and wife one day. They become engaged and it's legally binding. In other words, you're not getting out of it. Stage two is when it becomes a spouse. In other words, it goes a little further into this arrangement. But once you get into that, if there's any fornication, the penalty for that would be stoning. Now Mary has to go to Joseph and say, "Um, I'm pregnant. Imagine. Joseph loves her so much, the Bible tells us that he's going to put her away. You know the story. Privately. The norm would be she would be taken to the Temple Mount. She would be judged. A sentence would be pronounced. And she would be most likely stood upright in a, in a tub of manure stone where she would fall face forward into the manure. And then that would be the way this woman would die. But Joseph, Joseph, 
Wanted to put her away privately. I have a feeling there was a stirring in his heart about something. Because he never knew until the entering into the third phase of this engagement where the angel now appears. And so, so Joseph takes Mary to Bethlehem. I love the salutation or the greeting. He says to Mary, he appears to Mary and he goes, Hail, my old king says, Hail, thou art highly favored. One translation just says, hey, greetings. I, I read the word, the Greek. It literally means the angel said, howdy. <laughs> howdy there. <laughs> that would be it. I got a large A word to begin with, man. I would have just exploded. I think God has a sense of humor. But what, I think what I, I really want... To draw your attention to, you know, the angel said, look, you're, you're highly favored. You are blessed among all the women, you know. Now, now I, here's what's happened over the years. You know, there are denominations that have exalted this gal so highly that people worship her now. And then, but then on the other flip side of the coin, the, you know, they so diminish her that now she's just just a common, ordinary Listen, when God says you are highly favored, you're highly favored. And she was special in the eyes of God. In fact, if you were to go and um, look at Weiss's work on this, God said, you are beautiful in my eyes. To this young 16-year-old girl, you are so beautiful in my eyes. And you know, guys, I just got this. My sisters, listen. I think God says the same thing to you today. If you have his son, what he says to you today, you are so beautiful in my eyes. And you too, if you've accepted this son, you too are highly favored. No, you're not going to birth any Messiah anytime soon. But you are. Be careful when you just put yourself down over and over and over. Amen, girls? She, it tells us that it says that she was troubled at this saying. And the word trouble there means she was confused and that her heart was disturbed. She was thoroughly shaken by this news. He then has to just comfort her and he says, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be afraid, but God has a tremendous plan for you. And again, not to bore you with a lot of Greek New Testament, but literally it means I have, God has such a surprise for you. A surprise? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you're pregnant. No, he says to her that you're going to conceive a son. That's what he has for her. And that this son, he will be named Jesus. Picks a name out. Of course, that is the Greek rendering of it. Of course, it's not the Hebrews. And by the way, the whole thing with Joshua, which would have been the Hebrew, it was a very common name during that time period. But he tells her that this son is going to be very great. He's going to be called the son of the most high. And when Jesus said to the Pharisees that he was the son of God, they understood that he was referring himself to the eternal one, referring himself to the divine one, to the creator, to the giver of life and light. That's why they would pick stones up at him and when it tried to kill him on the spot. How dare you call yourself the son, God in the flesh and yet God tells Mary, he's going to be God. God's going to come through your womb. And he, that he will be a king. He will be a king. Not a king of this earth, but a, a king over a kingdom that's not of this world. And by the way, you and I belong to that kingdom today, don't we? We don't belong to this earth. We don't belong to this world. I, I feel like a foreigner. The, the older I grow in the Lord and the older I get physically, I really do feel like I'm some kind of alien here. How about you guys? You know, what the world says I should accept, I kind of don't even like the thought of it. I don't even like the entertainment of the world anymore. 
There was a day you could turn a radio on and just lo- like the music. It was clean. But you listen to it today, you almost want to gag. And we don't belong here. If you're a born-again Christian, you don't belong here. Be careful you don't make this place your home. It's not our home. Now, I know you got to live. you got to survive. you got to pay the bills. I get that. So do I. But you know what? I am longing for a kingdom. My prince is coming. My king is coming. And one day he will touch the Mount of Olives. The east will split from the west. He will go through the Kindred Valley where the blood will flow to the horse's bridle. And he will take up residence in the most holy place there in Jerusalem. And he will rule and reign and we will rule and reign with him. That's my place. I want to go there. Soon. Very soon. We'll see the king soon. (laughs) He also says, look, you will be of the house of he will be of the house of Jacob. And notice it says there in verse 33, his kingdom will have no end. It will be everlasting, eternal. And I love Mary. I love this little 16 year old girl. And she says, basically. One problem. How? I've kept myself pure. I followed the law. I know no man. I've never had sex with anyone. What an honest question. How? And you notice, though, just as a side note, the angel doesn't rebuke her. He does, you doubt me? <laughs> I mean, how many times has an angel appeared to you? <laughs> you doubt my word? No, he doesn't. He goes, oh, good question, Mary. Well, what's going to happen is that the power of God is going to come. The Greek is a P-E-P-I. He's going to come upon you. And the power of God will impregnate you. He's not going to have an earthly father. He's not going to have a human nature. He is going to be human. He's going to have flesh, but he is going to have a God nature. That's what's going to make him eternal and divine. That's what's going to make him the creator. He is God in the flesh. He will impregnate. He will be God, Mary. You don't, don't worry about it. And I just, I love her response. He, she says down a little later in verse 38, three things really. Yes. I'm ready. Let it be. Yes to this declaration. I'm ready to serve. Bring it on. Hey, folks, is that our response when God calls us? Do we haggle? Do we argue? Do we kick our heels? Do we stomp our feet? Do we think that maybe it should be maybe a a grander Calling in our lives. Wait a minute. You want me to do what? Come on, man. I've been around this world. I've been walking with you for 20 years. And you want me to do what? No, no. I says, yeah, yes. If that's what you have for me, just yes. I'm ready. Bring it on. Let's serve. What a response from this young lady. I am ready to serve. And you notice, too, she doesn't bring out some kind of heavenly calculator. Oh, (laughs) Gabe, hang on. You do know what Leviticus says. (laughs) You do know how they put these women out of their, take, take their lives from. I mean, we have considered all this, right? You sure you got, she doesn't do any of that. Doesn't argue. She just says yes. In chapter 2. It's almost like the Holy Spirit wants to give us sort of like a timeline of when all this happened. And it's very important. He just says that it's during the time of Caesar Augustus. And that this Caesar, this Caesar Augustus, and by the way, Caesar Augustus, he did change his name. If you know the history, he did change his name. uh, Augustus means uh, the Caesar of the gods. You're talking about a guy that's into himself, you know. He just couldn't name himself, you know, Caesar or something. <laughs> Caesar, the, the God. But anyway, I find that striking. 
Um, And it just says that he decided that he was going to take a census. He wanted to number the people. And so he gives this order that everyone's to return to wherever their ancestors are from. Now, let me tell you something. That thought did not come from that Caesar. That thought was placed in his mind by the Spirit of God. You know, you know, we we think that sometimes, uh, and I'll just use our own country uh, as an example, that things are out of control. Look what's going on. Look at these laws that are being passed. Oh, the, I remember back in, you know, and you just think of the old glory days. You know, look, it's totally. But yet the Bible tells us that God holds everything together. He is in control of every facet of life. He raises people up. He takes them down. He puts the right governor where they're supposed center. He has it all mapped out. He's not confused. He's not disarrayed. He has it all down. We need to acknowledge that sometimes because I find, I don't know about you, but I find myself murmuring and complaining about my country, about laws, about that, when God says, but our, that's, this is my doing. And it is well and pleasing in my eyes. You know what? I've always made it a habit to end my prayers. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Your will, as it is in heaven, let it be on earth in my life. So, God puts this thought in Augustus, his heart, his mind. So there is this thing. And so now Joseph, he has to go to the town of Nazareth up to Bethlehem. Oh, he's from Nazareth. So he goes to Bethlehem. And again, uh, in verse 4, it tells us because he was a a descendant of David. She is pregnant, you know. And while she's there, she gives birth to the son of of God. She finds these rags, she wraps him in these rags, and she puts him in a manger. Can I ask you a question? How many of you during Christmas time put up a little manger scene? Can I have one? In fact, I made one out of ceramic one time for my wife. Oh, it was a beautiful little kind of a ceramic. It was a nice little uh, manger with some hay and some cows that that did you ever see a cow? They are nasty looking, you know. They they lay around in that mud, you know. And then you don't ever want to drink milk for like a week, you know. And did you ever, did you ever see a pig go, you know, I just want to go outside and, and do my thing. No, it's a nasty place. You've got rats running away. And by the way, the manger wasn't made out of wood. It was a hollowed out cave. It was a big stone that was hollowed out. The manger literally was a stone trough. That's what Mary put our Jesus, wrapped him up in some rags, puts him in this this trough, and now who's drinking out of the trough, by the way? Not to give you a bad picture here. You got cow saliva all dripping down. You got rats running around, and all because, well, it's because God wanted it that way, but humanly, it's just we're no room. There's no room for him in the inn. It's totally... Totally jammed. I remember teaching on a Christmas Eve, and I simply asked everyone who was there Christmas Eve, is there room for him in your manger, your heart? Don't crowd him out. So she brings him forth. Now, again, verse chapter 3, and again, I just again want to say the names, and you just have to see them. You have David, who was probably the greatest king for uh, in history for the nation of Israel. You have the son of Judah, who was one of the tribes of Israel. And of course, the forefathers, we've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And again, Jacob prophesying even about the Christ. So just keep those names in mind as we go through. Now, why all this? Why Why did I go in this direction? Well, we know where Jesus came from. 
He came from the eternal one. So maybe if you needed to tag a message, you could put, you could put how did he get here? Where did he come from was last week. And how did he get here this week? How did he get here? Well, we know, and I'll go through this quickly. He came, he came to that servant girl, the Virgin Mary. We know that he was birthed in Bethlehem, and I'll touch on this again. We know that he came through the, the lineage of David. We know that he was of the tribe of Judah now because of chapter 3. We have this beautiful genealogy. And by the way, this is not Joseph's genealogy. It's Mary's. And it takes you from Adam all the way to the birth of Christ. But why? Listen, I think the Christmas story in which we just read can be so... Well, we can become so familiar with it that it loses its impact. And I'll be honest with you. Every year trying to put a Christmas Eve message together... It's becoming harder and harder because I go into my archives and I go, wait a minute, I just taught that. I taught that last year. I taught that two years ago. I taught that three years ago. But then I, and I, but I realize that it isn't just about the Christmas story that should impact us, but it's how this genealogy comes into play and all the prophecies, like it was declared that he would be birthed through the servant girl of a virgin. It was going to be prophesied that he would be he would be born in this little no named kind of a village named Bethlehem, that he would have his lineage through the line of David, that these are things that are prophetically declared. And when you think about it, well wait a minute, how long ago? Well you got Isaiah, you've got Micah, you've got so you can go all the way back to Genesis and and see these these prophetic scriptures, and then all of a sudden this Christmas story becomes alive. And you go, my goodness, Micah prophesied 720 years before the birth of Christ. How did he know? Who on earth would ever pick Bethlehem to be a place to birth the Messiah? Why would he pick a a 16-year-old young girl who was so excited about getting married and her whole life is so interrupted through this, you know, and all of a sudden, all she can say is, look, behold your handmaid. Uh, okay, yes. Now I'm ready. I bring it on. Because there's something so, so powerful with prophetic scriptures. For unto us. A child is born unto us, a son is given. A government shall be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful and Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Okay, how we know that first? But do you realize that was close to a thousand years before he was born? God says, I will, I'm declaring this. That in Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin. Now there are those critics who say, well, the word virgin really doesn't mean virgin. Nonsense. It's a lie from the pit of hell. There's no other way to interpret that word. She is a girl who's never known a man. Her womb is still closed. And she became impregnant by the most holy one. Carrying God. And you know I always thought of this. Did they have to discipline Jesus? What was it like to walk up to God and say, okay, blow here. Come on, get that snot off here. (laughs) I can't imagine Mary and Joseph raising that little guy, you know. I mean, they even railed on him one time. Twelve years old, he's in the city of Jerusalem. They don't know where he, he disappeared. They're sick with worry. They go up to him. Didn't you know we were looking for you? And and he goes, didn't you know I was about my father's business? (laughs) Okay, God. 
Okay, God. There's something so powerful to think that thousands, hundreds of years before his birth, God proclaimed it. And that makes the Christmas story so much more powerful and dynamic. No one, Satan knew it too, by the way. You remember that incident in chapter 3 of Genesis, man, when Eve took of the apple and then so did Adam. And then there's this dialogue between Lucifer, the, the serpent, and God himself. Where he would say, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Between thy seed and her seed. Okay, you. I'm paraphrasing. You might win the battle, Satan, but he is going to win the war. You'll bruise his heel, no big deal, but eventually you're going to have your head crushed. And this, the head of Satan was crushed on the cross. And ever since that prophecy, you can just see Satan trying to eliminate the seed of the woman. He's trying to intercept. He doesn't want this kid to be born. Again, God gave them a sign, a prophetic sign, that a virgin would conceive. Now, there are many who have a real problem with the virgin birth, even today, even within Christendom. They think, oh, no, that, that, can't, that can't happen, you know. But my question is this, though. What more could the Lord do? Think about it. We, we, most of us will accept that mere man could not hang on the cross and die for our sins. Mere man could not be the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the earth. It can't happen. Prophetically, literally. We know that. But yet people will still have a problem with, oh man, I can't just wrap my mind around that this little girl was impregnated by the Most Holy, the God Almighty, and God was brought forth. But my question is, what more could God do? Well, he, well, what about a grand entry? Why couldn't there be a heavenly orchestration and just all of a sudden these angels are praying, playing all these instruments and the shofar is blowing and heaven open and a hand comes out of the sky. What about that? Well, let me tell you something. That's, that's the way every king is introduced. Well, you watch when one of these kids are born over in England through the prince and all, you know, Harry and all. It's not a bad name, but still. I mean, don't they have parades? Everybody's decked out. This one guy's wearing a uniform, and I tell you, his whole, his whole chest was filled with medals. He's probably never been in one war. But there's this grand announcement. Little Charles was born. A symphony, a, a parade in the, in the palace ballroom. And the, but that's the norm. What would be out of the norm is to have one of these rugrats birthed and nobody says anything. There's no grand entry. There's no announcements. And all of a sudden you hear, they have who? What? That to me would be more astonishing than a grand entry. To me, for God to say, I'll blow your minds. I'll have the Son of God born in one of those nasty mangers. I'll have the Son. You know what? I'll have this Augustus guy declare that there's going to be a census. And I'll have Mary, a virgin, who's going to be eight months pregnant, travel 70 miles where she's going to have to deliver that child. Because I'm going to say he's got to be born in Bethlehem. Do you realize if it was a month before that, if that decree went out a month earlier, she would have been able to go and come back and he would not have been born in Bethlehem. Or a month later, same results. He would not have been born in Bethlehem. If he was not born in Bethlehem, he would not be the Son of God. Now that, to me, is powerful. That God has all of eternity focused on one second of time. That's the announcement. And to me, that is so powerful. He showed us he was divine. He showed us that he was the creator. 
Seven, again, 700, 1,000 years, more than 1,000 years. All these prophetic scriptures. Genesis 49 would even say that he, that, listen, I'll read it to you. A scepter shall not depart from Judah. Genesis 49, that he would come to the line of Judah, the tribe of Israel, one of the 12. Not through Benjamin, not through Issachar, not through Ephraim, but through Judah. Also, he would declare that he would actually be the great, uh, that his great, great, great uncle, I don't know how many greats there, but would even be one of the greatest kings of Israel's history. And that would be David. He would say, there shall come forth uh, a rod out of the stem of Jesse is, is the lineage of David. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Speaking of, of the baby. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. It shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge after the sight of eyes. Neither reprove after the hearing of, of the ear. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor. And it goes on. All from the stem of Jesse. Listen, I could go on. And on and on. Over 300, listen, tune in. 300 Old Testament prophetic scriptures as it relates to his first coming. There's more that will be fulfilled as it relates to his second coming, but over 300. You know the probability of all them um, becoming fulfilled? Over three, I heard this analogy. Don't know if it's right or no. I had one mathematical, you know, genius said the probability is staggering. We go into the power of things, but this one guy said this: it would be equivalent if you took Texas. Sorry, I got to use Texas. I know they're really hurting right now. But if you took all of Texas and you piled it six foot high with quarters, quarters, six foot high, take a dime. Hide it in the midst of all those quarters. Have a guy jump out of a plane, dive in, and the first coin he finds is the dime. That is the probability of Christ fulfilling all these prophecies. That, to me, makes the Christmas story powerful. And I love him. We serve a mighty God. And there is not one thing that he can't handle. Why do I bring this to our attention? Because guys, let me tell you, there's such a danger we face even today. And that's called faith. I know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I get that. There's times in my life where I just hope But when it comes to his birth, listen and please don't misunderstand. When it comes to this Jesus being divine, being all eternal, being the creator of all things, the giver of life, and therefore there is light, is reasonable faith. It is so unreasonable after you look at all this and go, you know, I just don't know if I buy it. That to me is so unreasonable. What you and I and the way we're saved isn't just blind faith. Look at it. You argue with it. You cannot say that these things weren't prophesied thousands of years before his birth. And for one to go, I don't know if I want to be all sold out to him because I'm, you know, I'm just hoping I got fire insurance. To me, that's unreasonable. And most of Christianity today, sorry for getting loud, but I get a little excited about this issue. I just don't feel like, feel like it. CF word. We don't use that around here. Feel. Read the scriptures. Study. Look at it. Memorize it. So the next time the enemy comes to you and says, Hath God not said? And he challenges the word, say, Yo, baby, God hath said. This is what God says. 
That he would put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of man. You are trying to stamp out Christ then and you're trying to do it right now. That's unreasonable for me. I'm going to stand upon prophetic scripture. And you watch, gang. You watch how God works in your life. Whenever Jesus dealt with these Pharisees, he always brought up the scriptures. Listen to this. Matthew 21. Jesus says unto them, did not... Now, did you ever read the scriptures? He's not talking about the New Testament. He's looking at the scribes and the Pharisees and he's saying, listen, did you not ever read the stone which the builders rejected? That was an affront to them. They're rabbis. They're students of scriptures. He goes, what, you miss that? You're fulfilling the scriptures by rejecting me. Paul the Apostle, when he went to reason with them, he brought up scriptures. He would say, have not God said, wasn't it written in the scriptures? And again, he doesn't have a New Testament. He's using the Old Testament. He's using prophetic scripture. That he would die. Well, first he would suffer. That he would die. That there's even scriptures saying he would be in a grave and he would rise on the the third day. Because that's all in the Bible. Hey. I got to stop 25 after, but listen. And it's my favorite story, I think, sometimes. Yeah, you got these two guys that are on the road to Emmaus, right? Resurrection took place, but they don't know it. They have no idea. They're good Jewish guys, you know. They're, they're in love with God, whoever that was to them. And they're, they're totally bummed out. And Jesus just appears. See, they don't see him appearing. They just, all of a sudden, instead of just two, there's three of them. And they look around, and I don't know. Maybe he had a hoodie on. I don't know. But he's just kind of walking down the road with them, and they're looking like, and Jesus says to them, man, why are you so bummed out? And one, I would love to know which one it was. And I find this humorous. What are you, a stranger in these parts? (laughs) Didn't you hear what happened? And Jesus says, no, what? (laughs) The, the, The guy that crucified in Jerusalem, man, we thought he was the promised one. We thought he was going to be the one that would deliver us, you know. Now, what do you see there? They had this information about a Messiah and deliver. Did they know prophetic scripture? Not at all. Because if they had known it, they wouldn't have never left and they would never have been bummed out. They would have been waiting. Where is he? In fact, this is what Jesus says to them. He said, said unto them, how is it? No. And after um, they wouldn't ask him any more questions. And he says to them, how say they that the Christ? Oh, I'm sorry. The son of the, that's not the. Oh, anyway, he, he, he started to speak to them about the fulfillment of Scripture. And when they, he disappears out of their sight, they start running back. And this is what the two said to themselves and to the, the group. Did not our hearts burn within us as he opened what? The Old Testament. Can you imagine? He, he's looking at me. He goes, hey, guys, you remember that one in Isaiah? Uh, which one? You know, that one in Isaiah 53, he's wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. Do you remember Psalms 22? Well, well, we think, yeah, they pierced my hands and my feet. You want to take a stab at it? And all of a sudden, their hearts burned within them. Why? Because Jesus himself opened prophetic scripture to them. Oh, I wish I could keep going on. Greg, you can make your way back out, buddy. Now, he came from the eternal. This is Jesus, the one we love so much. God. Creator. Do you get that, guys? Honestly, do you get that? That he lives in your life right now? Do you really get it? Are you blind to that? You still trying to control your life? Let go. Just let go of it. God's got it. Read the scriptures. I challenge you. You know, sometimes we hold on to things so tightly because if we're honest with us, we just don't think God's got it. I was talking to my buddy last yesterday. And you might have heard of this analogy before, but here's a guy. 
He's hiking. It's pitch black. He shouldn't even be out there. He's, he's walking along the edge of a cliff. All of a sudden, he loses his footing. He starts to slide down this cliff. And all of a sudden, there's a branch, and he grabs a hold of it. So pitch black, he can't see his hand in front of his face. He's screaming, God, please help me, help me. And God speaks to this man's heart and says, just let go. Let go of it. No, no, I can't, God. I can't. I just can't let go. No, trust me and just let go. I've got this. Just say yes. Just say I'm ready. I just want to just let go. And he would not let go. He held on to that the entire night, aching, screaming. And when the sun came up, he looked down, and he was only six inches from the ground. God's got this. Just got to let it go. Give him your hearts. The word of God tells us he's eternal. Yes, the grand entry was into a small little town through a virgin girl, but yet divine. Amen? Let's stand. You know what? Sometimes when we teach the word, you know, um, our hearts do, and they burn within us. And sometimes we don't even know what we need to be praying. Well, we know that is God's doing something. He's stirring our hearts. This front is always open for prayer. Prayer team's always willing to come up here and pray. And I want you to lower your heads just for a second. And I'm just going to ask you one simple question. Are you still trying to hang on to your own life? Are you willing just to let go and let God? If that's you, I want you to throw your hand up and then put it right back down. Amen. Amen. Father, as we stand before you, after reading your word, how powerful it is. What authority it has. Forgive us, Lord. Oh, we get sidetracked, God. The world might, you know, sucker punch us, God. But when we set our hearts and we just put our minds on you, we realize, Father, that you have it all under control. That all we have to do is just let go. Let go. Fill us, Lord. Fill us afresh. For those that raised their hands, I get it. Been there. Especially as a pastor, I want to think I'm in control. You're in control, God. And collectively as a church, we yield ourselves to you. Individually as a son or a daughter, we commit our hearts to you. Fill us afresh, we pray. In Jesus' name. Let's close with a song. If you need prayer, come on up, guys. The prayer team will meet you.